Come on, let's praise him. Let's really praise him. What a resource. What a glorious thing. What a precious thing. What a wonderful thing. Oh, somebody, let's give him praise. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk out on you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Good to see everybody here tonight. If you're visiting with us, great to have you in this place. Praise God. It's a special place. It's a wonderful place, a glorious place. Amen. Thank God for everything that we feel. Amen. Praise God. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. You're not going to want to miss this Sunday. So rain, sleet. The only thing that should keep you from coming here this Sunday is the rapture. And if you show up here on Sunday and the rapture's taking place, you know what? You can just have this building. We'll just give it to you. Thank you, Jesus. Good to see everybody. My. Praise God. The, uh, the classes that we are talking about that will be in February is really entitled Sexual Redemption. Sexual Redemption. You, um, 16 years and above, but there is a waiver that has to be signed by teenagers' parents to be in this class because we're going to be, we're going to be very open about some things. Um... It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we're looking forward to that. You don't even have to be part of this church to, to be in this, in that class. We'd like to welcome everybody. In fact, we should probably advertise it online. Because there's a lot of people that are looking for answers. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And we're going to start reading in verse... Number nine. And what's taking place here before verse number nine is the Apostle Paul, which is the spiritual father of this church. You might remember that it actually started in Acts chapter number 18. He is rebuking members in the church for taking their brothers and sisters to court and spiritually reasoning with them that we really should, and I'm paraphrasing greatly, but I'm just trying to make the point, we should be able to resolve these things amongst ourselves. And then it leads into verse number nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, 
nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He makes that statement twice. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want to talk to us about the moral code of the church. The moral code of the church. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices and give God great praise and thanksgiving for the wonderful things that He has done. Come on, let's give Him praise. Father, I love you. I pray that you're with us in a special measure tonight. We won't fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for everything. Lead us and guide us and let a great spirit of revelation and understanding in the knowledge of him be in operation in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Church is a wonderful place. Church is a glorious place. And I'm not trying to push a button tonight, although that would be a good one to push, because we all know it's so true. The church is a place where there is incredible hope. And I don't and I just want to say this publicly. In the presence of every lion devil, if there are any. I don't care how bad people have blown it, there's always hope. In this church, there is. There's an incredible, if I sound like I'm bragging, I don't mean to, I'm just trying to tell you the truth, but there's an incredible momentum of excitement and celebration in Cornerstone. It is discernible with all the visit. And uh, it's taken many, it takes, let me tell you, it takes many years to get a church of this size in that kind of a spiritual groove. Uh, it just does. It's not automatic, but I thank God for it. Church of the Living God. The reason that there are so many positives is because we also recognize the rules and regulations that are required by God that must be in place. And oftentimes, those things have to be articulated and put into place before, before
before the good stuff can flow with the momentum like we all feel here week after week and service after service. And that's not really a negative thing. It's only a negative thing if um, you don't want to do it. And there are a lot of there are a lot of givens in a church setting like this. Like when somebody comes up, um, when we make a an altar call and somebody comes forward and receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have um, whether it's wrong or right is not what I'm going to talk about here tonight. I'm going to assume that a person that's here and comes forward and prays and receives the Holy Ghost, they want to live for God. I mean, I'm assuming that. I'm assuming that people that come to this church want to live for God, and they want more from God. That's why I'm here. I am not just here to stand up here every week or just stand over there every week. I am here as part of my calling, and I actually want more from God than this. I believe you feel that way too. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. I'm hungry for more. Oftentimes, they don't understand is, is people that have been, uh, and it's just a reality in our world, and when we, we mention these things, it's not in any way to appear derogatory or, or judgmental, but you can't make a distinction unless you can make, you have to draw some lines somewhere so that there can be a comparative analysis. We're smart people. We live in the 21st century. We have phones that are so far beyond anything that was available Ten years ago, the, um, the technological progress is ramped up, but they have proven that the learning curve, it has left the learning curve of the human race in the dust. They're coming out faster than we can learn to use them. And so this is why there's a great fear about artificial intelligence is because it's not only taking jobs from people, but they're there's a lot of fear that they're just going to replace people altogether. And uh, listen, I would much rather be stuck in an elevator with, with you than a, a robot. I don't care how good the robot looks. It's still a machine. It doesn't have feelings. It can't worship God. So, a, genu a genuine apostolic church understands that all of Scripture is, is our foundation. And in order for things to be good, there has to be some things set in place that keeps the pure pure and keeps the impure out. Okay, uh, just, just as an illustration, in the book of Nehemiah, we see them rebuilding the wall. And the enemy was not even really concerned with the nation of Israel. He had already figured that these people have dispersed. They are just fragmented. They're never going to come together. Jerusalem is no more. I don't have to worry about them anymore. Except Nehemiah got a revelation. Got a revelation that the time of captivity was according to a specific amount of years 
and he got permission from the king to go back and rebuild the walls. And rebuilding the walls is very important because what rebuilding the walls does is it sets, it makes a distinct difference between the outside and the inside. Okay? And an apostolic church has walls. The doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, the teaching from the Word of God, it, it erects walls that separates us from everybody else. And I don't say that uh, as a form of being religiously haughty or being proud. But I just got done mentioning to you, we have a momentum and a celebration and a purity and a glory that I'm not going to give this to the world. I, I came out of the world to get this. Why, 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 would I, why would I sign some kind of compromise? I don't want that out there. I spent 30 years out there. This is the greatest thing known to a mortal. Some Pentecostal people believe that these walls are actually, it's a prison. No, it's not a prison. The very first two things they did when Abraham was settling in the promised land is they dug a well. Okay? But long before Abram ever dug a well, Abram built an altar. And the only altars that God would accept at that time, it was a mound of dirt. And so Abraham was a digger, and Abraham was a builder. He built a mound of dirt that went up, and he dug a well that went down. It's only a prison if there's no well here. Because if you don't build a wall around that, that, that hard-won, hard-dug well, then you've got every Philistine, every Hittite, every Amorite, every Amalekite that wants to pollute and fill that well up so you don't settle here. Honey, we have come here to dig well after well, the well of salvation, the well of celebration, the well of victory, the will of healing, the well of glory. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. It's time to go back to digging. And even Isaac discovered that if we don't protect these wells, the Philistines are going to fill them with dirt. That's carnality. And if you ever get flesh in your well, you're not going to feel God like you used to. You're not going to drink freely like you used to. It's no time to backslide. It's no time to get carnal. It's no time to change your doctrine. It's time to roll your sleeves up to your elbows and start digging and start digging through your flesh and say, I need to start praying like I used to. I need to start fasting like I used to. I need to get some junk out of the house. I need to get some dirt out. I need to connect with the source. Clap your hands and give God the praise. That's why we're feeling here. Somebody has dug it out. Somebody's kept it clean. Somebody's kept it free. And now people can freely come. They can draw from the wells of salvation with joy. 
This is all scriptural symbolism, but it fits extremely well. My point is, is that walls protect wells. Every of those very early communities that were started in the Old Testament, they all started around a well because where there's water, there's life. So, a healthy apostolic church has wells, and an apostolic church has walls. And then you have a gate. And there's only one way in and one way out. And there's only one Lord. Jesus said, I am the door. Let's just clap our hands and go ahead and get it over with and give him the praise. Let's just connect all the dots and give him the praise. I'm glad I'm in it. I'm glad I'm in it. If you can get lured out of the safety of the walls, I believe Joab got a knife. And you will die outside of the protection of the walls. Don't do it. In this incredible passage of scripture that I read in your hearing tonight, the Apostle Paul, as I've already mentioned, the context of this is he is rebuking this church, not because he doesn't like them, he loves them, but he's trying to bring them to a greater understanding and a greater maturity of Christian deportment, Christian behavior. And so he asks a rhetorical question in verse number 9. He said, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you that when you have, when you have a church where there's good flow, there's good momentum, there's great fellowship, it's easy to get caught up in the societal part of a church. Okay? It's easy to do that because there's a very strong sense of community here. That's the will of God. There is a culture that is developed in a healthy church, but every culture has to have a language. They have to have a language, and we have a language, but they have to have do's and don'ts. They have to have laws. They have to understand the boundaries. They have to understand that there's perimeters. Those perimeters are not to control you and make you a puppet, but they are to keep your spirituality before God intact. You are an individual. You can't, you can't just walk up to somebody. And this happens, and I, I don't want to get any more specific than that. I could. But in some environments, people lose the sense of revival. They lose what the church is even here for. And they get caught up in the enculturation. And when they do that, they become familiar. And it's no longer, this is brother so-and-so, and this is sister so-and-so. This is just old, what's his name? When you do that, you strip that person. Just nobody cough or sneeze and say amen right now. Just let me talk to you. You can't let people do that to you. You cannot let people get so common with you 
that they don't see you through the eyes of the Spirit. See, now we're right back to where the world is. Now you have people that think it's something else that I need to get a hold of to give me uniqueness and value instead of the fact that I've been born again of water and spirit and I'm under the sinless blood of a lamb. That's all you need to be good enough. That's why when you fellowship with people, you don't get overly cozy with them. I could, get, I could really walk down the road on this right now because I have dealt with this for many, many years through some elements that come in and they're not used to having those kind of definitions or they walk or they or they allowed something to sabotage that in themselves and now they don't they don't view this with the uniqueness that God gives us listen you can get it back if you become carnal if you become soft if you become sloppy i'm not trying to put you out and put you on a guilt trip i'm trying to say Get it back and realize, I don't want to go back to where that was. I don't want to go back to where the world is. I don't want to think like the world thinks. I don't want to look at people with crass and negativity and resentment and bitterness. These are God's people. They are called out of darkness into his marvelous life by the power of an almighty God. That's one of the signs that you can, va- you can gauge in yourself how spiritual you are. Is how you treat people and how you view people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're not careful, you can be messing up so much that you forget it's a sin. I mean, it just becomes a way of life. This is why the apostle says, know ye not. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Brother Clark, that's verse 9. Thank you. Well, Pastor, I'm just struggling with this. It's time to get the victory. If you're not careful, you'll allow that coexisting with that with that situation to dull your edge, to harden your heart, and to make you blind. See, there has to be a moral code in the church. What are morals? This used to be pretty standard stuff in our nation. But anymore, it's become subjective. It's become relegated to the opinions of so-called academics and philosophers. Morals are essentially values that are expressed through thoughts and conduct. It's your value system. It's what you really believe about a particular situation, whatever that situation may be. In fact, morals are so important that they are the basis for any culture 
that develops and forms their system of belief and conduct. Where do morals come from? Essentially, man has a source of morality. Even a residual effect is still in us after the fall. It comes directly from God. If man understands being made in it, whether that whether this is expressed or said or not, man knows. Even the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that they that do the things contained in the law that don't even know anything about the law have become a law unto themselves. They have enough of the residual of being made in the image of God that even cultures that are godless have a moral code. For example, no culture in the history of humanity, no matter how primitive in the, in the rainforest or in the most elevated societies among us, rewards cowardice. A coward is a coward is a coward is a coward. And they are disdained in any culture. A man that steals is a thief, is a thief, is a thief, is a thief in any culture. Whether it's stealing fruit from somebody in the next straw hut over or stealing from TJ Maxx thinking that that security camera didn't pick it up. have a natural inclination to appreciate the truth. May not be biblical truth, but just the truth. No culture rewards a liar. Because all societies, from the beginning until now, have some form of moral code. historical approach are all based on that culture's belief system. It has to come from a point of origin that dictates value, and that is a belief system. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Israelites of the Old Testament had 613 commandments in the Pentateuch, which is the Greek translation of the, the first five books of the Bible or the Torah. Same thing, Pentateuch or Torah. However, in reality, it only comes down to ten commandments. Are you with me? All of the infrastructure, all of the societal idiosyncrasies, all of the one-on-one -on -one relationships, even the relationships between husband and wife, family members, neighbors, the nation of Israel. It's all based on Ten Commandments. Because man, if you're going to be God's people, you've got to have something that guides us from God. 
Because man has proven, even in the 21st century, that his moral compass, if left to himself, it disintegrates, it degenerates, and it brings us under a curse from God. greatest destruction in the entirety of the word of God because it set a typology for how God is going to destroy the world in the future with Noah's flood. They became so immoral that just every man, just people interbreeding. And God said in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, my spirit will not always strive with man. I tried, I tried to reason with him, but the imaginations of his heart was only evil continually. So God said, you've lost your morals. You won't listen to me. I can't work with you. You're done. happened to our world the greatest nation outside of the nation of Israel in the history of the world came up with documentation that openly declared that all men were created equal so noble so aspiring but it was based on what they called the Judeo-Christian ethic the drafters of the Constitution understood that we are not just from monkeys. We are made in the image of God. Therefore, the entirety of that documentation, the corpus, the greatest document from the heart and mind of man, was built. document, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that was, that was our Ten Commandments, if you please. That was the nucleus that defined value and morality in this nation. And this nation lived many, many, many fruitful years. But what's happened to this nation? What's happened to this nation is that culture is now defining morality. Instead of having one central, definable, agreed on source that defines morality, relationships, and values. Y'all with me tonight? Entertainment, athletics, the music industry, the clothing industry are now some of the leading influences of moral definition. It's no longer mom and dad. It's no longer the church. It's no longer the Ten Commandments. It's culture. And whatever culture says 
it's okay. Uh, now we got this is this is happening so quickly, so rapidly. The last the last one was this incredibly dumb decision to legalize marijuana. It's dumb from a moral perspective. It's perfectly admissible if you need the money. God for the church. Thank God for God. If you haven't clapped your hands at all tonight, let's do it right now. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the truth. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. You're not going to talk me out of this. In fact, I don't even have time to talk to you. that he greatly loved. Paul was about to leave Corinth. He just, he arrived at Corinth with his tail between his legs, being soundly whipped by the philosophers at Mars Hill. Because instead of him getting under the unction and preaching against idolatry like he did in Thessalonica where he was, That's where Timothy and Silas were. He left them in Thessalonica. And there was a great revival, and I'm quoting directly from the Bible, that said many were delivered of idolatry. Yet when Paul got to Mars Hill and saw that the city was totally given over to idolatry, he became intimidated by the philosophy and academic prowess of the Hellenistic world. And instead of following what Jesus said, Don't regard any man, but speak what the Spirit saith. He came out with what the denominational world calls the most eloquent, intelligent message. That is the apex of denominational preaching. But it was not apostolic. There was not one conversion. There was not one baptism. There was not one Holy Ghost infilling. And Paul leaves there with his tail between his legs and ends up at Corinth. And he says, I'm not going to repeat that mistake again, but... He ran into a little bit of trouble. He went to the synagogue. There was a few people that believed, but there was a lot of resistance there because Corinth was totally given over to fornication and idolatry. And Paul was just about to leave, and God gave him a dream in the middle of the night. said, don't leave. Don't be afraid. Just go ahead and preach, for I have much people in this city. God saw a revival that would never take place if it was left to human caprice and human whim. God said, you stay and you preach and you get into alignment and we're going to have revival. And that's exactly what happened. They came out of every sector of Corinth. They came out of the temple uh, that was there. They came out of all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about some things tonight in Jesus' name. A lot of people give up because it don't happen fast enough. You got to understand, God's got a lot of people in that city. You got to just get into alignment and let God just start drawing people, create that dynamic, that ebb and flow, dig a well. Hallelujah. Somebody lift your hands and say, Praise the Lord. All right. 
Thank you, Jesus. So Paul is reasoning with them because he loves them. dug out. And he starts with this rhetorical question. And he says, be not deceived. You can get so used to some things or some people that are dealing with some things. But if you're not careful, you're going to change the rules to include that person. Instead of giving them what they need so they can be where you are. So he says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, which by definition is sexual contact between two unmarried people. Fornication was the most common sin in the biblical world. Idolatry was number two, but fornication is the number one sin in our world today great industry, money has been made by getting people to mess up. Idolatry. Now I want you to look at this carefully. Idolatry in our common understanding, would never be lumped in with other sexual sins. It's a a spiritual sin. Idolatry is a spiritual sin. The very first of all the commandments is that we should only worship with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is we will not worship any graven image. So it's a spiritual idolatry in its purest definition spiritual sin, because it puts something else in God's place. But when you put it in the collection of sexual immorality, it's that some people have placed sex. They worship it. The pleasure. There there are some people in our world, there's some people in this building that are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You can get quiet all you want to. You're not going to stop me from talking about this stuff. I've got the Holy Ghost. I love everybody. But bless your heart, in order for us to have the blessings of God, we're going to have to talk about this stuff. You want this overrun by a bunch of junk? You just find you another church. This one's going to have walls. They're going to be straight. They're going to be clean. But the power will be there. The glory will be there. The deliverance will be there. Clap your hands and give God the praise for that. Thank God there's somewhere. Idolatry in this setting has become deified. And the deification of sexual immorality 
gets a response from God. Brother Clark, please go to that scripture that's in Romans chapter number 1. Look what, look what the deification. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Next verse. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature. That's the human body. That's all of the, all of the benefits of the human body. People deify that. They worship that. They worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Go to the next verse, please. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile effect. Homosexuality is a curse from God. And it is a curse for not worshiping God as God, but worshiping pleasure. Homosexuality being the outcome. It is the byproduct of what's taking place here in Romans chapter number 1. For this cause, God gave them up. God removed any restraint. God removed the moral factor. Now, you guys got dressed tonight, combed your hair, took a lot of time. You didn't come here to just run around in circles and clap your hands when the music plays. The thing that gives us the purpose, the power, and the liberty is we understand the rules. Let's just lift our hands and talk to Jesus right now. To understand the rules makes you blessed. To understand the rules makes you powerful. To understand the rules makes you one of a kind. To act like those rules don't exist, it's just a matter of time. never know. Sexual idolatry is placed here for a particular reason. People that sit around and look at porn, porn is going to destroy your brain. They have proven medical studies that it actually begins to reform some of the some of the cortex and some of how your mind interacts. It gets in there like a disease and begins to warp a person's thinking. Women are some of the bigger biggest users of porn. Not just men. sexual redemption class. That's what we're going to talk about. There will be no iPhones. We're going to collect all your phones. If you're not willing to do that, there's just no science to it. We're not going to report it. There's people in this church I have to show and report stuff, and they have their phone going, and they go, okay, I'm running this. Somebody else is not running this. No one's going to be able to read it because we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty so you can be free once and for all, and I'm going to weep with you, and I'm going to rejoice with you. We're here to destroy the works of the devil. But you 
You're going to have to be a big enough person to come and say, I need help. Because everybody knows that when it remains in darkness, you're just going to continue to be a target. Never enjoying the word of God, really enjoying the blessings. And I don't want to see that. I want to see you free. Because good chances, if you get free, somebody you know will get free because you're going to tell them about it. nervous spirit out there. That devil that's been trying to weave his way into your brain this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's mentioned in the book of Colossians and Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The devil wants to convince us I can't get free of this. I'm just going to have to learn with hogwash. Hogwash. If you want to be free, you can be free. You want to quit lying, you can quit lying. You want to quit fornicating, you can quit fornicating. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I'm not mad at people, I'm mad at a devil. That in the shadows and in the darkness has convinced you you're going to have to live with this. I've come to rake back the covering and let you know there's a God that loves you. There's a God that wants you. Hallelujah. What time is it? Thank you. Who said who cares? Man, I'm going to get you, a, I'm going to buy you a free Domino's pizza. One of, the, one of those little eight-inch ones. I got to talk about some stuff tonight, so I don't. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I hit every speed bump in the deal. Neither adulterers. Between fornication and adultery, there was idolatry. Sexual idolatry will lead you into people, when it changes your morals, it changes the truth. These next several words are very rare in the Word of God. Only used once or twice. nor effeminate. The direct translation of the word effeminate means soft. Soft. As opposed to strength. Soft. It is used in one place in the gospel where Jesus said, what did you come out to see? man in soft raiment, which I'm not going to talk about all that right now because I, I need to stay on this, but this is the only usage 
of what it's talking about right here in the entirety. It's talking about a man that acts like a woman, not a transvestite, not somebody that's in some kind of trans procedure, but right in the middle of this word effeminate is are the letters F-E-M, fem, where we get female, and it's talking about female characteristics. It could be clothing, it could be how they talk, could be how they walk, could be a couple things. By moral definition, it is talking about a man that is used in a specific way in a homosexual situation. Now, pastor, this is church. That's exactly why I'm talking about this. You want to know why we've got so many problems? Because this prudent Victorian view. I'm going to tell you, these young people sitting on these front rows, they know more about that smartphone than anybody in this building. They know more about what's going on with this stuff I'm about to talk about than anybody else in this building. And bless your little heart, I'm not worried about offending somebody in the back if it will save somebody on the front row. That's been part of the problem. Our young people don't think they can come and talk to us. They got people on the playground that will talk to them. They got people on the on internet that'll talk to them. I want to tell you, you can talk about it. We're here to help you. There's a God that loves you, and such were some of you. You ain't never heard anything like this before, but God is here to save you. There is, there is a relational process I don't have time to get into all this I don't want to tell you that people do not become effeminate overnight usually it's a strong mom and a weak dad and somewhere in the equation they have learned to not embrace the masculinity. It's, it's a known physiological fact that children, and it's by God's design, they embrace the mother. She is, she's the one that nurtures. She's the one that gives them milk. She's the one, she, she has the arms. And that's why I just brave our Jared and Ari, brother and sister Mark, were at my house last week, and the baby started carrying on and crying. No big deal. No big deal. As soon as it got in mom's, mom's arms, man, crying's done. Manipulation has come home. But as soon as that baby got in mama's arms, it was done. But in, in, the, in the process of development, a young man is supposed to start to gravitate towards masculinity because that's what God made you to be. I don't care what this world says. You go back and tell them. You just look in the mirror and say, this is how God made me. I don't need some counselor to try to talk me out of it. I don't need some demon possessed. 
Welcome to the truth. The worst thing that can happen is to have a strong woman in a home. Surely there's nothing like that. I'm just trying to make some definitions here, but surely there's nothing like that in this church where a woman begins to put the husband down. If you put your husband down in front of the children, it is a recipe for moral disaster. There's some people under the sound of my voice. Devil's been messing with you guys big time. And I love you too much. When you start questioning, the devil goes, that's one victory. Now all I need to do, get him to do is experiment. There's another victory. And then I'll just they'll saturate their brain with temptation and the images of porn that they can't resist it. And then they're gone. So we're going to lay the axe to the root of the tree. They're not created that way. You have to fight it. And it's a fight that's common to a lot of people. You're not weird. You're not dirty. You're not some freak of the church. I love you. God loves you. But you gotta get you gotta get a backbone and say, I'm created, I'm created to be a man of God. Come on, mom and dad, help me. Come on, mom and dad, you've been praying that somebody God's been talking to me. God's been hearing your prayers. Well, I don't know if I don't know if we want the pastor to do no, he's he's rough, he's brutish. You ought to just thank God there's a man that prays and hears from God, and he's going right for the devil tonight. He's not out to hurt your little darling. He's heard to get him out of the arms of the devil. Other thing that facilitates this is experimentation at a very early age. I don't get too I don't get too upset when Pastor, our my nine year old and my seven year old were playing doctor. Okay, okay, it's bad. Don't grab a belt. Talk to him. It's not a thought out, premeditated, deviant sexual act. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. You've been wrong before. What you're going to do is when you freak out and you let that you let shame get birth in that young heart, you just open to the door to self-doubt and the enemy's voice. You need to say, no, we don't do that. You keep your hands to yourself. You're made in the image of God. You keep your hands to yourself. Keep an eye on them, but don't freak out. Some of you parents that freak out, you need to get in this altar and say, God, help me to get a balanced understanding so I don't do more damage. Experimentation is not the same thing. As a sexual expression. 
sometimes things happen between boys. And the devil's all over that. In this hour, the devil is all over it. All over it. He assigns, he, he assigns spirits to stay with that life. I've got good news for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You've got more power in your fingertip. When you call on the name of Jesus, those spirits got to come flying off you. When you make it to the altar and you call on the name of Jesus, God's right there. God's right there with a strong hand. God's right there to bring you out of darkness. And you know it's the truth. The worst thing you can do is stay in the shadows. And try to fight this by yourself. When I see when I see when I see a young man that is that is effeminate, my spirit becomes grieved. been a long time since I've actually seen this, but I've, I have seen where there's young men that cannot fellowship with other guys. They can fellowship with the girls. That is, that's a danger sign right there. You know? You don't have to have a tattooed on your head, Brutus, to be a be all man. Okay? an identification with the world. It means that you're not comfortable in your own skin. You need something else to feel better about yourself. And that was defined in the world, not in the church. It's a mark of identification. I'm not just, I'm not, I just, I just want to make sure that I cover all the bases tonight. I'm trying to, baby. I'm trying to. Some of you guys that are almost 40 and you're not married, I worry about you. Man, it's as, it's as quiet as a still night with a full moon. Problem is I feel like the Lone Ranger without Tana right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about, about flashy dress. Stand up, Tyler. This guy looks great. He's, he was getting nervous for a while, weren't you? No, look at that, dude. Look at that. That is awesome. Eat your heart out, devil. He's going to heaven. I'm, I'm a little concerned as a pastor about just letting any new hairstyle in. Okay, where did that come from? And then if I... If I see a picture in the world and it comes out of a certain part of town or a certain city or a certain, a certain group, and now if we're not careful, we are associating, they have more influence on you than you realize because now you're getting the same haircut and now you're wanting to wear the same kind of clothes. No, 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 no. You need to go out and throw that stuff in the garbage and say, I'm going to associate with God. I'm not going to associate with anybody in this world that is lost. 
This is the truth anyhow. I can't help it if you've been around people that don't have the guts to preach this. But I don't want to lose anybody. I don't want to wait till they're 30 and where did they go? They ran off with another guy. Why? Because nobody had the guts to pull their sword out and say, I'm hacking it right now. I'm going to hack it off right now. I'm going to cut it off right now. I'm going to cut it in pieces right now. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You don't have to be lost. If you've got that struggle, look at it eyeball to eyeball and say, that's not who I am. That's not who I'm going to be. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody come on, praise him. You've got to have enough Holy Ghost to say, that's not me. I might make a hundred mistakes, but that's not me. That is the defining moral factor of your life. Man, pastor's really preaching to that guy. I don't have anybody in mind tonight. But I know that there's spirits at work. If you didn't have a pastor that had a sword and wasn't afraid to pull it, there's already people that would have fallen into adultery in this church. There's already people that would have ran off in fornication. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but I do know what I'm talking about. And I know that there was somebody being attracted over here that was being attracted with somebody over here because the devil hears what's going on in your marriage. He hears, he sees what's going on. He plants a few things here. He watches your response. He plants a few things over here. He watches their response, and he pulls two people together until they become a reproach and an embarrassment and a shame. And that's how two people get together. Satan was in it right from the very beginning. But all he needed was the fertility of two people that fell out of love and quit working on it and vocalized certain things. You can kill people with your tongue. Don't get me started on that right now. Listen, dear precious wife that thinks you're as holy as a little spiritual petunia, you can destroy your husband with your tongue and wound him. Just hear what the man's saying. There are some things that are lodged into the spirit of a person that never get out. And every time you think about it, it makes you feel horrible. The spirit of effeminacy has a tendency to grow. It can grow in certain departments of the church because some of those departments in the church have an exercising or a manifestation more of the mother instincts of the church. Now just stay with me and I'm going to move on. But there are some departments in the church that represent the mother part of the church and not the masculine part of the church. 
And that's why effeminacy and homosexuality breeds in certain departments and not in other departments of a church. And I'm not trying to denigrate the mother parts of the church that you need that. But this is the masculine instrumentation of this church. And this is the determining factor that sets the course, not just for a group of people, but it takes that word of God and it drives it into our spirit and gives us the inner definition of direction that we need. I've heard of entire denominations that are given up because of homosexuality. I read last week that the United Methodist Church is splitting because of their, I was raised United Methodist when I was a little kid. My grandfather was a United Methodist preacher for 40 years. He'd roll in his grave if he heard some of this stuff. He worked, he was on the faculty of Pacific School of Religion, which is the very first seminary in the world that gives a doctorate in gay studies. My grandfather lived in Berkeley. It ran. I'm, I'm telling you, I was looking at the biographies of the faculty, and I was just like, wow. Wow. Reality is shifting. And the tentacles of that are trying to get into the pews of sweet families and godly people and human weakness. You're not going to make it. You're not going to go to heaven if we're practicing these things and indulging in these things. No, you not. be not deceived. The last phrase that I want to talk about, and then we're going to wrap this up. Abusers of themselves with mankind. Some of the earliest translators translated this to be a male prostitute. But it's broader than that. In ancient cultures, and I cannot get into this in this setting. We'll talk about some of this stuff in redeemed sexuality. Like you have to sign a waiver to get into this class. Because I want to talk to you. But in ancient, in ancient cultures, if men had a certain style of facial hair, it was an immediate sign that they were homosexual. It wasn't like an Orthodox Jew. It was trimmed a certain way in archaic cultures. An abuser of themselves with mankind is a person that has completely become a sodomite. And they have sensualized. Satan has worked with them long enough for them to sensualize their body to think that this is the way my body's supposed to operate. God never intended that. But you've opened the door to spirits. And when you come to church, you only go so deep. You only get so far. You only get so much victory. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is not, this is not 
a gay-hating church. But bless your heart, we're not going to sit here and affirm your gayness. We're going to confront it with the Word of God and said, you must be born again. God's got enough power. God's got enough blood. God's got enough spirit that he can help you correct. He can help heal you. He can help deliver you. I'm almost done, I promise. Because Satan, if Satan can get you to start manipulating your own body, I won't go any farther than this than this. That's all he needs. The stimulus and the response, and it's just a matter of time now. You know, watching pornography only has one outcome. Self-manipulation. But that's all Satan needs for you now to become in bondage. Young men that never get free of that, they won't have the desire to get married. Because marriage was God's natural desire to be an outlet for your adulthood and your maturity and that sexual expression. That sexual expression is not from Hollywood. That sexual expression is from God. He defined your sexuality before your mom and dad ever named you. He defined Adam and Eve as male and female before he ever named them. It's a God thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a holy thing. And just to let some of you know that there's hope such for some of us. Let's lift our hands. As far as I'm going tonight, let's just pray. I wouldn't laugh this off and take this lightly. God's reaching for you. God is trying to give somebody an indication tonight that God is extending hands of grace, nail-pierced hands, a blood-soaked garment that can help you overcome any habit, any obsession, any possession. Any situation. I often wondered, I came out of the world at 30 years old, I often wondered, how come I'm not hearing any of this stuff preached about? Well, here I am. I'm here to try to expand to a hurting world. People sitting in these pews. There's demons, there's demons that attend this church. We get the victory. We just blow them out the back door. But there's demons that walk in here every week that have attached themselves to people that are shaking right now. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I'm serving notice on every unclean, perverted influence. You don't own them. Your days are numbered, devil. 
God's not going to let him go without a fight. God sent a preacher. God sent a spirit. God sent a word. Come on, let's pray, 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 pray. Pray, church. Pray, mom and dad. Pray. This altar is open. Let's just all come. So the people that really want to come to this altar don't feel like they're going to be, the devil will tell them they'll be victimized. Come on, let's all come. Let's create, create a culture in this altar tonight. Song I sing each breath I breathe. I give to you my heart and my soul. Take my life and take control.